listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. So I don't know if um, if you've ever had uh, one of those uh, one of those weeks where you just really couldn't seem to like get out of your way, and where everything just like didn't seem to go like you thought it was going to go. Okay, um, I've had one of those, um, but I had a my week ended on a really really high note, and I'll share that I'll share that after the service. I'm not going to get into that now, but. Um, this has been a uh, challenging week, and absolutely it has, but guess what? It's also been a challenging year, and a year that seems to have been about a decade long. And so when we start thinking about the book of Hebrews, we start thinking about the sovereignty of God over all things, and Jesus being supreme over all things, and that is our true and only rest. And so we want you to land there. I need to make sure that I land there as well. And so if you remember back uh, last week, we finished off the first part of Hebrews chapter 1. And the author of Hebrews puts out seven Old Testament passages, and he just kind of just fact after fact after fact after fact after fact. And he uses those passages to present the supremacy of Christ, specifically over angels. Right? But what he's doing there is he's presenting Jesus as the, the hero of the Bible And so we learned that Jesus is indeed in the Old Testament. He's going to be there. And so the uh, author of Hebrews helps us to think through that. He showed that Jesus has a unique relationship with the Father, that he is superior to angels. The angels are actually commanded to worship him. Angels are ministers uh, of God and for God, but Jesus stands over them. He's supreme to them. Jesus is eternal and he's unchanging. And so we talked about the one who is eternal and does not change, stands in sovereign, right, perfect control over his creation. And that creation is indeed temporary, fleeting, and changing, but Christ stands over all. And so if that's true, then there's where our rest is, and there's where our hope truly lies. But now this morning, right, we get to talk about the first warning passage in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Right, and so the author of Hebrews has built this argument now for the first chapter. As now going to say, okay, now here, think about these things. Think about this. And so we're going to unpack this warning passage. And I hope that it's an encouragement to you. I hope that it is a blessing to you. Um, I also hope that it is convicting to you and that I may perhaps through God's grace step on your toes. Because I want you to know something that whenever I prepare, whenever I'm studying, One of the things that I pray for right out of the gate is that my heart would be changed and that God would use his word through the study to convict me and to confront me. And he did that in very mighty ways this week. And so I'm hoping and praying he does it for you too, because it's for your good, right? I'm not saying that because I'm a mean guy. I say because I love you and I want to see you grow, okay? So let me read Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 1 through 4, and then I'll pray for us, and then we will we'll have some fun this morning in God's words. The author of Hebrews writes these words, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for this opportunity that we have to to gather, that we have to take a break, I pray, from a busy, hectic week, and maybe a busy, hectic, hectic week that we know is before us now, Lord, that we will be able to set aside time to, to hear from you. Lord, we bear responsibility for that. Lord, so I pray that you would help us to be aware of moments when we may wander or lose focus. Lord, help us to stay attentive to your words. The psalmist in Psalm 119 writes these words, Deal bountifully with your servants, that I may live and keep your words. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Lord, may we be able to echo that same prayer. Lord, may you deal bountifully with us through your word this morning. May you open our eyes to behold the wondrous things of your law, of your book. Lord, and may we recognize that we are indeed just sojourners. Lord, but you are speaking to us. You have spoken to us. And Lord, may we be attentive to hear. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 2, this is going to be a lot of fun, okay? We're going to have a lot of fun here. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to linger on verse 1 a little bit, okay? Because the author comes out swinging again like he did in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Okay, so let's go back. Right, what have we learned? What has the author of Hebrews written or taught us about what about Christ right long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things to whom also he created the worlds he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. God has spoken faithfully. He has spoken to his people. And his finest and his final communication was through Christ. And he sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father, in perfect control over his creation. He stands supreme. In fact, he stands supreme over angels. He has this unique relationship with the Father that the angels don't have. In fact, the the angels are commanded to worship the Son. They're ministers of God and for God, but, but Christ stands over the angels. Christ is eternal and Christ is unchanging. He's in perfect control over anything, over everything. So if that's true, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. Now don't miss the fact that the author uses we, not you, 
So he lumps himself in with those that he is writing to. He includes with them, hey, I need to pay much closer attention. You need to pay much closer attention. We need to pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We have to have an unwavering commitment. We have to have an unparalleled resolve, not just to be aware and recognize, but to act or to respond appropriately to what we have heard and to what we have come to understand. There's a call for personal commitment and for accountability. It's an individual response, but it's a corporate response. I have to pay much closer attention. You have to pay much closer attention. We have to pay much closer attention. There are a lot of competing voices. There are a lot of competing theories and a lot of competing ideas. But if Christ stands supreme over everything, that's who you must pay much closer attention to. Al Mohler says it this way. He says, ultimately, it is a matter of the heart. And so the author of Hebrews is telling the readers that they must hear with their hearts. Right? Not just hearing with your ears, but hearing with your hearts. And how are you going to respond to what you have heard? Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the words. The author tells these people that they are without excuse. They are not ignorant, that they are not uninformed. That he's not ignorant, that he's not uninformed. Because we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Right? Long ago, many times, and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. He has spoken. Do you hear it? Are you hearing with your heart? It's Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, where Paul writes, For what can be known about God is plain to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The author of Hebrews is saying, you have heard this. We have heard this. We must pay much closer attention. Why? Well, because we don't want to drift from it. We don't want to drift from what we have heard. Drifting is not hopping in your car and drifting. Right? Drifting is this subtle, gradual giving up of what you believe, of what you hold to be true or what you know to be true. All of us, right, battle with sin. I battle with sin. And we have sins that are characterized as besetting sins. And those are sins that we are going to have to repeatedly battle with our entire lives. I've shared this before. I will share it most likely again. One of mine is fear of man. 
right? That is a sin that I'm going to battle with, that I'm going to struggle with, most likely for the rest of my life. That is one of my besetting sins, one of my besetting sins. But now there are other sins that, that I don't, God in his grace, that I don't struggle with. But you may struggle with. Right? And that's why we need one another. That's why we need to be in community. Right? But we have a very real sin battle going on in our lives. And many times it can be different from one person to the next. But we all struggle with sin. Commentator Ken Hughes went as far as saying that drifting is the besetting sin of our day. If that is true, then that means that each and every one of us sitting here in this room battle the sin of drifting. Here's what I mean. In Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, as you read through the book, you realize that the author becomes very concerned about the, the Hebrew audience, the people who would have read this letter the first time or heard this letter read to them. They were wrestling with rejection from family, public shame, loss of property, loss of freedom, the threat of martyrdom, and all those things, right, as, as they are struggling with those, all those things can lead to drift, Right? The pressure gets ratcheted up. Jesus isn't the son of God. He's maybe just, he's an angel. There's a drift. Right? And so he's concerned about the drifting that these people were experiencing. Now, I can run this forward to us and say, well, hey, in our day and age, right, it could be career advancement. It could be financial security. It could be entertainment or reputation or recreation, social acceptance, grades, followers on social media, any, like we can talk about all those things. But if I say those things and you don't happen to struggle with one of those, then what do you do? Well, if it was me, I'd be like, oh, I'm in good shape. Pastor didn't name one of the things that I struggle with. Right? Well, that's drift, by the way. So let me put it to us this way. Let me try to explain it to us this way. Explain it to me this way. Again, there's four ways. Okay, number one is years. And this is what I mean. The older you get, the older that I get, you can lose zeal, you can lose passion to, to fight for the truth. Uh, we can become tired, exhausted, uh, frustrated. Geez, you know, it's just, it's the same, it's the same fight, you know, day after, day after day and year after year. Like, it's just the same thing. Like, when are people going to shape up and understand what's going on here? Ah, whatever, I'm done. Right, so, so you, and that leads to drift, right? That leads to drift, how about um, familiarity with the truth? Okay? Now, you've heard it before, and you're probably most likely going to hear it again, and the more you hear it, 
the more it kind of loses its significance, the more it kind of loses its impact in your life. Yeah, 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 okay, I've got that. Uh, that is That will lead to, most likely, drift. We uh, celebrate communion each and every week at uh, TVC, and one of my concerns is that we become familiar with the truth. And so when I get up to introduce communion, when someone gets up to introduce communion, it's the, yeah, yeah, okay, yep, yeah, it's the time for communion, yeah, I've heard this before, yes, yes, okay, yep, yeah, boom, walk up front, do boom, boom, okay, I'm done, check the box, see you later. That's, that's drift. Years, familiarity with the truth. Uh, number three, uh, busyness. Uh, we can become so consumed with life and the things that we must do or the things that we believe we must do that our devotional life, our prayer life, our, our, our worship life takes a back seat because we just don't have time for those things. I've got too many other things I have to do. And, and, and we live in a culture that like, you know, you can't be too busy. You can never be too busy, right? You always, there always be other things to be done. Right? That leads to drift. And number four, idleness. I know those are polar opposites. Right? And I, and I think I see this um, as perhaps it, it's become more to the forefront in my, in my mind. I think with all of the COVID stuff that's been going on this past year, um, where we're told to, you know, stay home, self-quarantine, right? Not be too involved, be really, really careful. Like you, you can just write, and so for the better of everybody, are you going to do these things or not to do these things? And so then you find yourself maybe with more time on your hands than you thought you should have or ever thought you would have, and so then you just start filling yourself or your, your life with just things that just aren't really important, and all of a sudden the one-hour YouTube downward spiral becomes three hours. You creep stalk more on Facebook than you ever have before in your life, right? You just, because you, 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 you just, you don't have, quote-unquote, things to do, and so you, 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 you drift. Right? So, so maybe... You need more to do to help keep you focused on what's truly important. Now, Paul talks about this specifically uh, to the church in Thessalonica. And he says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Right? And so, like, we have to battle these things. And so, those four categories maybe hit you. Maybe one of them, maybe all four of them. Right? And so to battle those, to battle the, the years, and you can't stop the years thing, by the way. You're going to get older. Right? It's going to happen, but you can battle how you respond to things and how you, where you put your efforts and energies into. But years, familiarity with the truth, busyness and idleness, right? All of those things, it takes commitment, right, to battle those. Right? I, I don't battle idleness by sitting around asking God to help me battle idleness. I've got to do things. 
I got to get off my seat and do things. I, I don't battle business by, boy, boy, Lord, just help me down. Just take busyness from me. Just take the busyness from my life. No, I have to build in margins and build, right, and, and, and schedule and make sure I'm blocking off time. Like, so it takes commitment, right? And so when the author of Hebrews says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift from it. He's saying it takes a personal commitment for you to battle those areas. You have to be committed. Now, as much as we live in a culture that sometimes says we can't be busy enough, we also are finding ourselves, I think, living in a culture that just kind of increasingly doesn't, doesn't like commitment. Right? We, 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 we don't. Right? When, when things get tough, when things get a little bit uncomfortable, or maybe inconvenient, uh, when my needs aren't being met, right, then, you know what, it, it, it's, it's just not for me. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to move on to something else. And because, you know, and it's okay because it's about me and what, and what I want. And if you're not meeting my needs, then I can move on. And after all, I'm a victim of all this too, by the way. And so when we see this play out in our culture, right? There's this lack of personal responsibility. There, there's the, the, we, we try really hard to, to excuse away or explain away things, behavior. Um, listen, he just, he's, he's, he's just immature. No, no, he actually lacks self-control. Um, well, listen, he's just you know, he's just really confident. No, actually, he's prideful. It's sinful. Um, you don't understand. He's just really passionate about certain things. No, the dude's angry, right? And so you, you, you see, and so we start drifting. And the author, he was saying, no, no, no. We have to pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift and you want to battle drift in your life then you need to focus on the supremacy of Christ and who he is and how he stands over all of his creation and perfect absolute control and nothing happens that takes him off guard or that catches him by surprise because he's created it's all for him and it's through and it is him and he rules over it focus on that that has an amazing way of snapping you back into line at least it does for me. Now, the danger of drift, right, it, 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 it's, it's deeper than just, hey, we're going to miss out on just a, a really kind of strong, vibrant spiritual life. Like it is that, right? God wants to grow us. He wants to see us growing. But the danger runs deeper. And the author of Hebrews is going to tell us about that next. Because if we abandon the gospel, if we abandon the supremacy of Christ, if we don't pay much closer attention to what we have heard, right, we're going to find ourselves under the judgment of God. 
Remember, we went through the book of Colossians, the last sermon in the book of Colossians. There were all those names of people, right? They're really great names, Aristarchus, Tychicus, right? And one of those men that we talked about was, was Demas, right? And Demas was with Paul and was serving with Paul. And it wasn't many years after that that Paul wrote and said that Demas, for the love of this world, had left him and departed for Thessalonica. That's drift. But that's not just a spiritually flowing way. That's abandoning what he knew. And so the author of Hebrews goes on and says, hey, listen, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's arguing now from a lesser to greater. Typical argument um, back in the day. If it's true for the lesser, then it's true for the greater. But actually, it's more true for the greater, if that can be, as that's appropriate to say. This is what I mean. Last week, we looked at angels, right? Angels are ministers of God and for God. They worked and, and spoke on behalf of God. God uses angels in many different ways, has in the Old Testament, and still continues to to this day. But they are inferior to Christ. But angels are very real, and God uses angels. And so if the message declared by angels proved to be reliable to the point where what they spoke was not followed, there was going to be retribution or there's going to be punishment, how greater or how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Okay, and he's pointing now to, to Christ who stands above the angels. Now, it was the angels who were there with Moses on Mount Sinai, and so this is a reference to the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen makes this, this is his, his sermon before he's going to be martyred for his faith. And Stephen says this, that he, and that's Moses, is the one who was in the assembly, in the wilderness, with the angels who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. And Moses received the living oracles to give to us. That's the Old Testament law. And he goes on and tells the men that he was speaking to, you received the law under the direction of angels, yet you have not kept it. And that was almost the point where they said, okay, we've heard enough of you, and they're going to stone him and now kill him. But what Stephen is saying is, listen, angels were there with Moses and God on Mount Sinai when, when Moses was getting the, the law. And so if that message that was declared by angels to Moses on Mount Sinai was reliable, it was binding, right? It was God's covenant with his people to the point where every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. There was a consequence. There were consequences if the Israelite people did not follow what God had commanded for them to do through the angels. It's all through the Old Testament. If you follow what I say, there's blessings. If you disregard what I say, there's cursings. And any punishment that was handed out by God was just and was right and was appropriate. 
If that message declared by angels proved reliable and every transgression and every disobedience received a just retribution, then how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation spoken by Christ who stands over his creation in a supreme man? He sits enthroned to the right hand of the Father. That's the, that's the greater. Now that question, it's a rhetorical question. And it, it, it's anticipating a negative response. Well, if, if what the angel said was true and God judged because we didn't follow it, then, then well, yeah, we're, we're not going to be able to escape. But loaded into that is this prompting to, to pause and to reflect. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We, we won't. We, we, we won't escape it. So, but but we, if we won't escape, then, then what, we, we need to do something. Like, what, what do we, how do we need to respond to, to this? If the message to angels was reliable and, and trustworthy, then what, what do we expect if we neglect Christ and what he's told us? Now, the author of Hebrews isn't concerned about those who have never heard. But with those who have heard and who are neglecting. Pay much closer attention to what you have heard, lest you drift. It comes down to one's attitudes. It comes down to, to one's heart. Don't let the supremacy of Christ slip away in your minds and in your hearts. Don't let what Christ has done for you on the cross and paying for your sins and reconciling you back to God slip away from your hearts. You, you've heard this, that you, you, want, you should want a desire to hear more of it. You need to be praying. You need to be paying attention to, to, to your own life. You need to be praying, paying attention to those who are around you and you need to be able to, to encourage them and exhort them to continue on in this life lest we drift away. Because if you forsake Christ, the retribution will be more. So the author of Hebrews is motivating his listeners through the threat of punishment. If you drift, if you neglect, you will find yourself in trouble with God. Okay, now, as parents, right, sometimes, right, the threat of punishment is a fantastic motivator, right, if we're being honest. Right? If you're a teacher, perhaps the threat of punishment is a fantastic motivator as well to your classroom. Right? 
So what in the world does this, this idea of punishment have to do, right? How does this fit, right, in the idea of, of Christianity and, and what we need to know and understand about God and the realities of there being punishment, right? First of all, this does not mean, right, that God enjoys punishing people. Right, and I think that is very important that we, we understand this and we recognize this, and I think we have to wrestle with this. Because we will be told, right, by those outside the Christian faith, right, that that is not true. Right, that God is a sadistic, hateful, vengeful God, and he loves to see people suffer. He loves to discipline people. How can you really follow such a hateful God? And that's not true, right? He does not enjoy punishing people. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And God is unbelievably patient with me and with you. Why? Because he, he wants, right? He doesn't, he doesn't wish that any should perish, that any should be eternally separated from him, right? but that all would reach repentance. That's where his heart is. Right? There's this reality uh, of sin because Peter goes on and says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a the, with the roar it's temporary, but Christ is eternal and unchanging. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. He doesn't want to. He wants everyone to come to repentance, but there will be those who do not, and those deeds will be exposed. And because he is a holy and just God, he has to punish the, the sin or the transgression or the acts of disobedience. So the punishment is really rooted in the holiness of God's. Because sin moves people away from that holiness. Sin causes the drift and moves us away. And he is holy, and we're called to be holy as he is holy. Sin warps our existence. It corrupts our existence on this earth. It corrupts our relationship with God. He wants to, he, he loves us. And so if he needs to punish us to stop the drift, he will do that doesn't want to. He wants you just to love him and know him for who he is and just follow him. But guess what? We drift. 
So the author of Hebrews, right, using punishment as a motivational tool is right and good and just. And after all, this is God's word, right? And so we need to understand what that, what that means. Punishment can be a, a good motivator to obedience and to perseverance. And we're not going to escape. if we neglect the gospel, if we neglect Christ. But then to finish out this passage, the author of Hebrews circles back around. You can imagine hearing this, right? And you may feel the weight of all of this on you that should make the gospel bigger and brighter and clearer than it ever has before when we think about God's patience and his patience with you and the salvation that Christ offers that can be never taken from you. But then the author of Hebrews writes these words. It was declared first by the Lord's, it being the great salvation, right? The gospel was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard well, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So there's a fourfold witness now to this gospel, that this great salvation that we are not to neglect, that we're not to drift from. We're actually supposed to right, pay much closer attention to it. The first witness is the Lord. That's a reference to Jesus himself. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus comes into Galilee, and he's proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. He proclaimed it. He is the kingdom of God. It is about him. Remember, Christ is God's final and finest Revelation, he's proclaiming the gospel to those in Galilee, and he's proclaimed the gospel to those who heard throughout his earthly ministry. And those who heard were the apostles. And it was attested to us by those who heard. These, these, these men that Jesus selected to, to do life with him for three years. And they were by far stellar theologians. They were just messed up in all different ways, shapes, and forms. They had their issues and they had their baggage, but Jesus selected them to minister with him and to serve with him. And they saw Christ and who he was. They weren't exactly the most faithful of followers. They scattered. When he was crucified, but they were there when he was taken up to sit at the right hand of the Father, having completed the mission that God had sent him to this earth to do. They believed it to be true. That's the only way that they would go from being a bunch of cowards to bold men who would proclaim the gospel. They confirmed the gospel. They gave evidence of the gospel. Because they heard it from Christ himself. And they would faithfully proclaim that gospel 
to, as the New Testament church gets started and churches get planted, and there's a gospel witness now that's going out, the gospel is bearing fruit and it's growing, as Paul tells us in Colossians. And the fact that we are gathered here this morning in the small little town of Damascata on Sunday, November 8th, shows that there were other men who were faithful in proclaiming the gospel over the years. But it started with these men who heard and who attested to the gospel. Then we read that God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. These acts of power that God showed, his mighty hands. You can go back to the Old Testament and find just these miracles things that God did. His mighty hands, these, these, these works that resulted in awe and amazements. His power that's beyond our, our comprehension or beyond 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 our understanding. You see it in the Old Testament. They saw it firsthand in the life and the ministry of Jesus and even in the ministry of the apostles and all of those signs and wonders and those miracles and all the things that brought all were to point to Christ and to who he was and the power of the gospel and the truth of the gospel. Then number four, by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now notice, okay, and it's easy to perhaps miss this, um, that the Trinity is involved in all of this. Jesus proclaimed it, God the Father, through signs and wonders and various miracles. Now the Holy Spirit by distributing gifts. Right, so it is the, it is the Trinity itself that is in, involved with the proclamation of this great salvation and giving evidence to this great salvation. But the Holy Spirit distributes gifts, right? And those gifts are used, are to be used to, to strengthen and to equip the church. But they're also there to testify about the supremacy of Christ and to give tangible evidence of the gospel. So what is the implication if we don't use those gifts? This is where I lingered. <laughs> okay, just so you know, I lingered in mother's spot, but I lingered here. Right? If spiritual gifts are used right, for, the, for the edification of the church, for the strengthening of the church, to equip the church for ministry, right? but, but the, the, the spiritual gifts speak to the supremacy of Christ. That's what the author of Hebrews is arguing here. So if you don't use your gifts, if I don't use my gifts, if we don't use our gifts... Is that a drift? Yeah, I think it is. Right, because in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, right, Jesus is talking with the disciples and he's talking about the Holy Spirit and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he says that it's good for the Spirit, it's good for me to leave so then the Holy Spirit can come. Which now, if you're a disciple back in the day, 
I'd be like, wait, time out. No, it's really good having you here. <laughs> like, I like that. We mean just leave thing. It's like, no, it's better. Because the Spirit's going to equip them for, for ministry. So it really does run back to the supremacy of Christ. It shows who he is because it was good for him to leave so the Spirit would come and he would equip the church to proclaim the gospel and would point him back to Christ and the supremacy of Christ because there's no way a group that looks like this, that has gifts like we do, and that we're, we're, we just we need the gospel each and every day. Now, there's no way that this group should be able to get together, gather here this morning for worship, and then let alone get out and minister and serve people in this community. Makes no sense. I'm sorry, I love you, but I'm just as messed up as you are. It makes no sense unless there's something greater that's over us. It's Christ. So the way that we serve, the way that we minister, the way that we love one another points to the supremacy of Christ. And so as a church, we need to give people opportunity to use those gifts to, to bless one another and to bless our community, but... You have to be faithful in taking advantage of those opportunities to use your gift. I, and, and I need to do the same thing. Right, we have opportunities, tremendous opportunities to, to love people, to love one another, and to serve people. And there's tremendous gifting in this church. And God, by God's grace, we, we, I think we've been faithful in, in using those gifts, but we can do a better, we can always improve in, those, in how we use gifts. We can always improve. We will never arrive. So it's an opportunity. We have the, these four Bs, right? Build, belong, become, bless. And so as you become a disciple, right, you're going to learn those gifts. You're going to have a better idea of maybe how to use those gifts and how to bless the church with those gifts. right? There's the build, belong, become, bless. Right, so you need to be here. You need to be engaged. You need to be involved. You need to understand that when you're not here, you are missed. Right, because you're part of this family that God has knit together and is using to do amazing things for the gospel. You're needed. You have gifting. You have passions. So the gospel message Right? It forces a decision. Right? It forces us to make a decision about if we're going to believe it or not. And eternity is in the balance, either with God or separated from God. But the author of Hebrews isn't worried about those who haven't heard, but those who have heard and who are neglecting and who are drifting. So how do you respond to the gospel? It's commitment. Right? And it's, it's accountability. Right? It, it, it's committing to, 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 to a body of believers and saying, okay, they're as messed up as I am, but by God's grace, we can do great things for the gospel. And I need these people to lovingly speak the truth into my life because God may use them to help me not drift. And so it, it, it's GGCs, but, it, but it's church membership, right? Where are you going to commit yourself to? Right? Again, all of you are saying, we must pay much closer attention. There, there's a personal commitment that we must have 
personally, but then corporately to, 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 to ourselves, but to one another in, in how we not drift from the truths of the gospel and the supremacy of Christ. Because if we, if we treat the gospel carelessly, we're, we're, we're inviting just spiritual ruin. We're, we're just inviting just hardship, potentially. And I'm not saying that if, you, if you're experiencing hardship, that means that you're in sin. I'm not saying that. But the other, he was saying, hey, punishment is very real. And if you're drifting, right, you need to understand that it's a possibility. The gospel is the foundation of our relationship with God, but it's our foundation with our relationships to one another. We need to all come together and just as we pursue Christ. And may we pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift from it. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your words. Lord, these warning passages in Hebrews can be difficult. They can be uncomfortable. Lord, but like those believers needed to hear 2,000 years ago, Lord, we need to hear it today. Lord, may we pay much closer attention. Lord, may we be quick to block out the chatter, to block out other things that will consume our time and take our time to hear from you and to hear from your words. Lord, and I pray for a measure of grace upon us, even as the memory verse we looked at this morning was rightly handling the word of truth, rightly handling your word. We need to rightly handle it as well in our own lives. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk out of here this morning committed to you, committed to the power of the gospel, that we would pay much closer attention. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.